This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to the Devin Kershaw Show from Faster Skier. This is it. You've made it to the last of our post-race banter sessions after stage seven of the Tour de Ski, the final climb on the Alps or me. Here you go. Thanks for hanging in there with us. Howdy. So that was that. How was that? How was that? Was, Gut reaction? <laughs> I, I thought it was exciting. I mean, I thought the I thought it was pretty fairly predictable. I, I guess I wasn't like we talked about earlier throughout this whole tour. I was I was very curious to see how Claybo was able to figure out that final stage. I like we had also talked about. I really thought that Bolshinov was the guy to beat, and I thought Ustigov had a great a great stage up that last hill. I mean. I think for the men's side of things, the only surprise is Ustyagov, I guess, on paper was the strongest uh, yeah. previ- previously up the hill. And Bolshinov struggled a little bit last year, and Klebo wasn't very strong last year, but he had such a big lead that it didn't really matter. Um, but Bolshinov was just too strong. I mean, uh, it was uh, it was quite the quite the performance by him. I mean, I was really impressed that he was able to to sneak in there for third on the stage itself. I thought that was quite a, quite a demonstration. That was a, that was a great race from such a big skier and to see two small Norwegians go one, two, that, that doesn't surprise me. Were you surprised by, I mean, Kruger just looked like unstoppable that last half K maybe. Oh yeah, I was, I, but I'm biased because I like shoot and <laughs> he's always been so friendly and, um, I've got a good rapport with him throughout the years that we raced together. So of course, of course I was really cheering for Shude. I thought Shude looked really good, uh, the whole hill, but you're right. So did Kruger. And when Kruger just had that extra little bit there at the end, uh, Shude really cracked <laughs> like, right, big, right. like big time. So yeah, Kruger was amazingly strong in the last, the last part, the whole hill though. I mean, if you look at both those guys, if you look at their position and how they were able to solve such steep terrain and seemingly not get flooded with lactic acid, not, not get stiff. Whereas if you looked at shots from Claybo when he cracked, when he cracked, he got so stiff. And that's what I remember. That's what I remember from that climb. Like just getting so locked up and then you just, you're just peg legging up there. I mean, it's so hard to get going if you, if your legs are flooded with lactate. So they, those two Norwegians had a great day. And I mean, look at, they shot up. I mean, Shude was fourth. So he, that was about as good as it was going to be. But Kruger rocketed himself up to fifth. Right. I mean, Kruger had a bad tour, let's be honest. And with, with Alp Jermis being Alp Jermis, if you have a day like Kruger did, it really rocketed him up the standings for him to finish, for him to finish fifth. So that was, uh, that was that, if you're going to have one good day of the tour, you want it to be on Alp Jermis, that's for sure. Do you, I mean, right, so kind of circling back to Claybo a bit, yeah, I mean, that was obviously going to be a piece of the puzzle for him to, to solve. Last year, you know, after I've I've written up my draft, I think he started with like a minute and 20 second lead, um, something around there. And, and he lost a bunch of time on the, on the Alp, but not enough to lose the overall. So I'm sure he had a night last night thinking like, okay, I got to stay in contact. Do not lose contact. And it looked kind of grim for him out there, to be honest. I, I was surprised. I mean, maybe you're not, but by surprised by how much time he lost. But physically, once he did snap, 
um, he looked dejected. Oh, you are dejected because there's two things that are going on. Like when he cracked, he, he knows, he knows it's over. Like it's done. You're not coming back. There's no second win. There's no little downhill. There's no fighting with yourself. If your legs stop up completely, there is no coming back from it. And he knows exactly how long he has till the top. And he knows he's a long way from the top. I mean, he cracked like over eight minutes from the top of that thing. So that's a long way to go. And that's some dark thoughts you're having as you know you have to drag your carcass up there. And then, of course, you can look up the hill and see that Shur is one of the guys doing damage. And Shur, really, I mean, if, if Claybo cracked even harder than he did, he, he knows that, okay, of course, the lead's over, so you have to kind of deal with that negativity. But then Shur is looking pretty good, and you start to be a little stressed, I'm sure, going like, oh, man, am I going to go from first to off of the podium? And those are those that's a that's a hard place to be. So... It, and like I said, when your legs really lock up on that thing, it, it's ugh, it's a horrendous feeling. Because like we talked a little bit about yesterday, it's not really skiing. You're not really skiing up that thing. You're just kind of hacking your way up. And as good as those Norwegians looked, and they did look, re- yeah, they and did they look did good. look really, really good. I mean, if you look at some of those, both those guys, their best races of their careers, comparatively to how they're skiing up that steep climbs. I mean. It looks good compared to everybody else, but if you compare them to their best, they still look fairly like they're in the hurt locker too. So, but for sure, I mean, Claybo had the day that he for sure kept them up at night last night, <laughs> hoping not to have. Uh, but it was good enough to secure the podium, and that's not what he came to the tour for. Uh, absolutely not. But you know, three seconds, three seconds on a strong Russian two, three behind him with uh, Bolshinov and Ustigov right there. That was just not enough time. Okay. Um, a couple of images that kind of stuck out to me as I was put it, looking at some photographs to put into the story this morning. Um, one is of the podium. I mean, it's like you got two, well, one very stoked Russian in Bolshinov, one semi-stoked Russian in Ustigov, and one head down, very, you know, just like, Huh? Kind of the place he's not used to being in third, uh, Clebo. You know, kind of, and obviously it's easy to project. Well, maybe it's not, but projecting out a year from now, it's a championship year next year. So not maybe not everyone's here at the tour. You know, can how does a guy or does a guy even spend the time thinking about how to solve the Alp? Is it worth it? Uh, and you know what? That's a good question. That is a really good question. I mean, that, that was actually funny because that question was asked to Nossum actually uh, when he was interviewed at the at the end on NRK, and he says the same as what everybody says. I mean, you have one race a year. That's this four k <laughs> climb up an alpine hill, and out of forty races you do, how much weight do you really want to put into that thing? to get be- to, to, to master it. I think no one wants to, no one really cares to master it, to be perfectly honest. But Claybo, a guy like Claybo needs to work a little bit to improve. And I think that's doable. I think it's doable for Claybo to improve on the, on the Alp. But uh, like you said, on a championship year, uh, we'll just have to see what Fist ends up doing. I mean, it was actually funny. Teresa was quite critical at the end today uh, through her interviews because the tentative calendar is out and it's a, it's one stage more next year. It's eight stages tentatively planned, uh, three in Mushter, two in uh, Toblach, and then three in Val de Fiem, Val Mushter in Switzerland to start, sorry. Um, and so one more stage than this year, and it starts on January 1st tentatively. This is all tentative, It's not gonna, it's, but it's not going to... 
Yeah, and it's not going to be wow. that. That's it's by no later. means set in stone. They have to have the fist Congress first. But uh, Teresa was saying, like, I'm not going to show up if this is what it's going to be. It's a world championship year, and that doesn't give me enough time to prepare for Oberstorf the way I want to prepare for it. And if the best skier in the world, that is the absolute machine of cross country skiing, is saying I would strongly consider not coming, then Fist definitely has to look at that and go, "Oof, how are we going to solve this this little?" conundrum with the tour because in the championship years especially for the women's side of things man it has been a watered down competition the years that there's championships the men have by and large supported it quite well but for the women when there's championships you know Kala has missed the tour a lot when the championships were happening and she was in good shape those years taking gold medals at those championships Mara Bjergen she had a history of skipping them so did Teresa Johug, actually. She Last skipped. year, Teresa Johug yep. skipped the, the Tour de Ski to focus on the World Championships. And and these are just naming a few of the top girls, but there's or top women, I'm sorry. Um, so it, it'll be really interesting to see what Fist ends up doing. But um, but I agree. I mean, if, but sorry, to just come back. I, I, <laughs> I'm talking. I'm talking. I'm talking and I'm talking in circles yeah, a little bit. No, but here's, what those are, those are- here's what I will say. Here's what I will say that. For Claybo to spend the time to master such a special stage like that, at what cost? You know, I, but at the same time, Bolshinov went from being, I think he had the 22nd fastest time last year, if I remember correctly, or, or in the low 20s anyways. And he went from that to being the third best up at this year. That's a huge improvement. And Ustigov has been as good as 11th. He's been pretty good up that climb, uh, like solid. And he went from there to fourth best time this year uh, in the mass start. Uh, it's a little different format as well, but still. So, th- so they are making those guys are making improvements. And if Claybo wants to win the Tour de Ski uh, again, especially Bolshinov being the same age as Claybo, then he's going to have to improve that final climb somewhat. But uh, the risk reward is just uh, what's the point? You know what I mean? Like, there's so many other real races that that you probably should focus more on than, than trying to, to hack your way up a 4k Alpine Hill. Right. So, and, and I maybe comment on this in terms of like the internal thinking of world cup skiers and then like maybe the broader culture of elite level skiing or cross country skiing is that, you know, when I'm going to look up results or the history of an athlete, especially someone who's Norwegian, it's world championship and Olympic medals that are like highlighted in the first few sentences. And the tour is different. Not that it's not an amazing accomplishment. I mean, it's physically, arguably a much, much, much harder mental and physical challenge than, you know, a one-off race at the, at the championships, but you can call me out on that. Um, but it, it doesn't, it's not in those first couple of sentences like, oh yeah, I won the tour de ski. Or like Devin Kershaw, you, world championship gold medalist, and I think third overall in the World Cup at one point. True? Yeah, I was second one, one year, yeah. Second. Sorry. No, man. no, dude. Okay. It was 800 years ago. I was on wood skis and three pin bindings. Okay, totally but fine. that said, it's totally fine those are the things that. that pop up. No, for sure. You know, well, I didn't forget it, but you know, those things pop up rather than like nailing the tour to ski. Uh, in some ways, I agree with you, but in other ways, after 14 years, the tour definitely has solidified itself as a marquee event, and it for sure is a mar- the marquee of the World Cup. 
that's for sure. It has a lot of interest. I mean, it's positioned really well being right after the Christmas holidays. The television viewership has been very strong. There's been a great mix of winners from the men and the women. It hasn't just been a Norwegian dominance um, sideshow. There's been, a, I mean, Kowalczuk really made the tour, put a stamp on the tour. Verpi Kutnin put a stamp on the tour. So did Kala winning the tour, the German uh, Anger winning the tour. Uh, there's been a lot of Bauer, the Czech uh, athlete from back in the days. Mm, so right. so there ha- it, it has definitely some cachet and it, it is a marquee event. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there. Uh, but of course, a world championship gold medal, an individual world championship gold medal or an Olympic Games gold medal, it looms large in our sport. And of course, scarcity, that scarcity. I mean, you only have a world championship every two years in cross-country skiing and every four years for the Olympics in cross-country skiing. So of course, that's set a little higher on the, the pedestal because people want to be sure they're ready. And I would say until last year or two years ago, maybe, people were really there was especially with the men's side of things like it was almost like cursed like if you won the tour de ski you come to the championship and you were almost guaranteed not to win a gold medal you don't win an individual gold medal if you won the tour de ski and that happened many 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 years in a row and claybo changed that uh, last year and and sergey ustigov was the first one to actually change that in 2017 when he won the tour de ski and then and then went on to win uh like was an absolute boss at in the Lotte World Championships. But before that, there had never been a men's winner that took an individual gold at the championship. So, uh, you know, that's a history. You know, if that happens 10 years in a row, athletes start going like, oof, you know, like I might not have right, that many world right. championship chances, but I will have tour de ski chances because it comes every year. Um, so it's only in the last few years, I think, that people have finally shown that, no, you know what, if you do things absolutely properly and the stars align, you can win the Tour de Ski and the championship gold in the same season. And the athletes that have done that are legends. Uh, they're still racing, so they're not legends now, but they will be the day they retire. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I see, I see why athletes are a little careful in starting the Tour de Ski the year of a championship when they really, really want to have that one-off, like you're saying, that one-off race. While... If you want to know my honest opinion, I think winning the overall world. I do. Well, well, winning the overall World Cup. I mean, if you really think about it, I mean that's crazy. Uh, I mean, you have to be so stable from November all the way to March, and yes. I put that very, very high on on the pedestal of accomplishments compared to, like you said, like one race in February <laughs> that uh, you just wake up and you deliver. But at the same time that comes with a lot of stress because that one race that you deliver on is the race that everybody in the world of cross-country skiing also wants to deliver on that day and is pegged that day and put the X on the calendar on that day. So oh, it is, um, yeah, that championship gold medal, especially an individual gold medal is, man, that's, uh, that, that's, that's, the, highest, that's the highest achievement in, in our sport. You know, I, I put, I, personally, I put the overall World Cup maybe, Oof. the olympics is every four years so that's really high up there and having never won a world championship gold medal or or a world cup overall globe it's pretty ridiculous of me just to throw things out there but i would say man if you won the globe or you won an individual gold medal in a world championship that's about the same for me uh personally 
but Olympic, but Olymp- no, but Olympic gold yeah. medal, but Olympic gold medal reigns supreme. Yeah, that overall World Cup is is amazing, and I would argue like it, it's almost sort of here in the states, and I'm probably in Canada as well. It's such a marketing push for the Olympics that things like oh, the yeah, World totally. Cup get completely overshadowed. Oh, absolutely, and I, I'm I'm a product of that. You know, I'm a product of that. Like I grew up watching the Olympics on TV. Uh, that was when I could watch sports other than NHL, you know. But in the NHL, winning the Stanley Cup, there's a lot of NHL hockey players that would say that I would, wow, that's changed even a bit now too. But <laughs> for sure, they would rather win the Stanley Cup than win the World Championship sure, of Hockey. Right. That's 100%. So, but in skiing, it's not quite there, especially for North America. Like you said, it is, uh, yeah. NBC has done a good job with their marketing. And CBC, the old the old crew at CBC that I grew up watching, the Olympics on that they, it worked because I was inspired, even though the IOC is a corrupt swampy mess, but <laughs> I didn't know that when I was a kid. <laughs> None of us did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Sucker number one right here. Um, oh yeah. Okay. Women's side, obviously. Yeah. Teresa showed true to form that she can excel. Not a lot of surprises there. Most likely, at least from my side, not a lot of surprises there. I was a little surprised by, she just flew off the front right as that thing kicked up, gone. And, and Vang held on for, a you know, was within shouting distance of Yohog for a little bit. And the American women had a solid day. Oh, really solid day. I thought, I thought Jesse had a really great climb and Therese is just a, a notch above the rest of the women. And if you're going to finish a tour de ski up a 4K uphill and you have a woman that has the, if she doesn't have the highest recorded VO2 max for women ever, she's up there. And also, yeah, so with a capacity and O2 uptake like that, she's going to be impossible to beat up that climb. We've talked about that all week, exactly, you know. I think she's won that stage previously by over a minute and a half in time. And this year she won by 50 seconds, which I thought Heidi... I was pretty impressed that she went with Teresa, actually. Mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. like, oh. But then again, Heidi, that was a really strong race by Heidi in the sense that she knew if she wanted to get on the final podium, she had some work to do, and that was her chance. Really sad to see Ebba Anderson miss that last stage. That was too bad. She she came down sick. She you know she got a, had a cold and then decided not to race. I, I'm, she must have been a bad cold not to race when you're sitting that well. And that's a lot of points and money to give up. Uh, not to start even just like hack your way up there and lose a couple minutes and still be sixth or seventh in the tour to ski. But so that was disappointing to see Ebba not being able to finish. She had such a strong tour, I thought, too. Um, but um, absolutely, with Terezio Hug, no one was going to match that. And Ingveld, well disciplined race. Netreeva, a little surprised. I was a little surprised, honestly. I, she's been, she had a great tour to ski. Hmm. She yeah. really did. But up that hill, I was surprised. She really hung in there. She was tough mentally. She was tough as nails mentally. And she earned that second place. I mean, she was, she never cracked, but she was dangling there. I mean, at some point she had lost that second place to Ingveld and then brought it back. And then by the end, Ingveld cracked with like 200 meters to go. That was pretty, (laughs) that was tough to see. And, but you saw how happy she was just to be on the podium. She hadn't started a single race this season coming into the Tour de Ski. So to come out of it with a victory against Therese Johug, a second place where you're 0.7 seconds behind and then coming third overall, what a wonderful Tour de Ski for her. Astrid, uh, to be expected, I'm sorry to say. I mean, she had such such great form in the Tour de Ski, uh, especially 
in the last two stages and Val de Fiam really showed her chops but that's a big hill and she just had an off day she she had a really off day and the only thing I'll say about Astrid is uh, she she should be proud of the of the performance she did throughout this entire tour de ski even though today was uh was a miss a little disappointed that she didn't want to talk to any media after the race I thought that was a little cheap I think all cross-country skiers could be a little better with that I think if they were, mm-hmm. if it was LeBron James, no, no, I'm serious. If it was LeBron James, no, and you're dude, in, I'm and you're trust in, me, I and know. And you're in the and you're in the NBA Finals, and you have a stinker, and you lose the championship. Guess what? People want to talk to LeBron, and LeBron talks to the media, and he's he's disappointed, and he's upset, and I understand that. And you can take the time you need, take five minutes, ten minutes, hell, mm-hmm. tell the media, come to my hotel in an hour, and I'll give you my side of the story from going from three seconds behind to blown off. But you need, you know, I, I'm really disappointed in cross-country skiers when it comes to that. Um, I'd probably have had some days like that too, so you can call me out on that. I don't really remember, but no one really interviewed me since I was Canadian. <laughs> but still, but, 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 but that said, but that said I, I, you know, I always respected Alex with that. Alex was always there to answer after bad races, and I, I, I have a lot of respect for him. And while I have a ton of respect for Petter, I think the precedent he set when he had a bad race to just put on that scowl and the glasses down and blow through the mix zone. I mean, come on, man. Like the media is, is there when you win, but it is a show and this is entertainment. And I know it feels like a huge deal at the time. I know you're super disappointed. I know Astor to be crazy disappointed to lose two minutes like that or over two minutes. Of course you are, but it's called being a professional. You just pull the glasses up. You look into the camera or you look into the interviewer's eye and you say, Today wasn't my day. I'm really proud of the tour I had. Today, I just fell flat and had a, had a raunchy day. And I'm looking forward to resting and getting on with my season. That's all you have to say. You know what I mean? So I was a little disappointed in that, I have to say. Yeah, I will say. So, I mean, because I think about this a lot because, you know, you see, you know, if you're in the mix zone, you see, I, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I feel like for the most part, the Norwegians are amazing at, you know they've got TV, you know TV crews, radio, print, and they are stopping for the most part and talking. Um, you know, again, I know that Astrid had a rough day and blew media off, but I've seen like really good showmanship and like total pro. Like oh, at I the end I, of the yeah, I think Claybo was a total pro today. Claybo said, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I just didn't have it today. And you know, you you know he's bummed out. You know he's pissed. He's used to winning and he's a true competitor. But um, you know, you have to it's your livelihood, right? And you have you For have sure. to you have to answer the questions in the media. Of course, people want to know how did you feel today? Like how did how does it feel to to lose the tour de ski win, Johannes? He doesn't want to answer that question. <laughs> like, of course not. Right. But right. uh but like you said, you gotta be pro. So Astrid, she's old enough to know better. You know, she's not 22. No, 32. So that's, yeah, so that's my, that's my two cents there. Okay, a couple things. So I did not pick up on this, but after speaking to Rosie Brennan, we, we chatted about the course a little bit. It sounded like, you know, it's the same course, essentially, up the hill, up the Alp, but the layout was a little bit different. She said there were fewer turns sort of laid out with gates and that it was what no it was yeah it was quite a bit different it was hugely different instead of having those steep sections like we talked about yesterday followed by switchbacks 
that were really tight that you could almost like double pull a bit slash I've double pulled there because my legs are so jammed <laughs> trying to get a little bit of rest because the, the, the gates were so tight. Uh, it was all really wide. So you never really got that quote unquote off time uh, to, to, to fake rest. It, it was up all the way. And they, instead of having those tight gates to have the switchbacks very tight, they really made them more gradual. So it made for, it looked like a more, more punishing, more punishing course than normal, to be honest. Okay. So here's like a complete non sequitur here, nitty gritty technical question. I promised this person I'd ask. Okay. Go back to yesterday's sprint. Okay. Yeah. And there were some slow-mo shots. Gosh, the sprint was yesterday. That feels like a year ago. I'm sorry, but okay. So yesterday's sprint uh, classic sprint, there were some slow-mo shots of athletes double pulling. And there were athletes side-by-side, side, one using probably the best-selling expensive pull on the market. Okay? It's black. Yeah. Based in Little Home. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And a pink pull. <laughs> I, think, I think they're German. <laughs> they are German, yeah. Okay, I think they're German. Germans are known for, like, good engineering. Um and pool technology, you'd think, you know, they're all carbon. It's pretty straightforward. But the flex in the pink pole compared to the relative stiffness of the black pole in double pulling was, was super noticeable. You know, that you the athlete would plant and the pink pole would kind of vibrate, whereas the black pole, I'm sure, vibrated, but lower frequency. Any, I mean, does a thing like this person who who is actually a sprinter of a, a solid sprinter in the U.S. retired was like, who would who would use those poles? Look at the flex, and I was like, well, maybe the flex doesn't. I don't know. I'm sure there's got to be plenty of studies out there. The flex doesn't matter, or the vibration doesn't matter, does it? Well, here's what, well, here's what I'll say too. I mean, because the two athletes in question that are side by side also ski with. Wow, very efficient in the best double pullers in the world. Uh, where are they planting? Good point. Like, where are they plant? Like, where are they plant? Where is the pole planting in the snow? What's the angle? Where's the weight? Are they able to recruit their entire stomach? How stable are their hips? Uh, how forward are their knees in conjunction with how high their hips are? When they land, when the poles plant, how on top of the poles are they? And I think that can really fool you. That, that can, man, th those, those small changes or small differences can really make poles react totally differently. And, you know, Ustigov, who's what we're talking about here, or Bolshinov, both of them, they ski with the Russians. So I think they're really good double polers, both of them. But they, they definitely don't have that textbook well, I'm thinking of I mean, like, like, Clay, like I was yeah, talking, about, like Claybo's, Claybo's double pulling was just out of this world. Yeah, but he's yesterday. using that pink pole that vibrates. Yeah, no, no, for sure, for sure. But here's the other thing too. There, if if a pole is flexing a lot, you, it's it's also Newton's laws. Like <laughs> when it bows like that, it's going to recoil and give you some momentum as well. You know sure, what I mean? but vibration, like so, it's like some some bounce. Sure, okay. But, I, but and the other thing, but I really, to be perfectly honest, I think I think the biggest difference that you're seeing in that is that Claybo's technique's just better. Despite the, the <laughs> seriously, I think, despite the, I think I think he's just I think he's just on top of it. I think he's just more on top of his of his shit. To be honest, 
but uh but i've i've tried i've tried lecky poles and i raced on swix poles my whole career um so lecky poles are good and they are stiff geez they are super stiff but 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 but, uh they are they are super stiff they are crazy stiff yeah so so there you go we've answered the question yeah no they are they are they, they they do feel a little stiffer when you ski with them maybe perhaps but I think a lot has to do with with uh, just the angles, like the vector, like how where you're where you're applying force, and not everybody applies force in the same way. So so don't get totally fooled by that. But all the all the top poles, all the carbon poles out there are like the big ones on the market. If you think like KV Plus, Swix, Lecky, uh, One Way, they're all really really good high quality poles. I mean, they're very stiff when when you like in planting i'd say the lateral stiffness of all those poles isn't the best and that's why you see a lot of them break uh, in mass start skate races but when you're applying four straight down man they are stiff okay there's our technical question of the day answered um all right well moving forward these distance racers uh take a break and i kind of want to end on one note and I, I mentioned earlier about like two photographs that kind of resonated with me one was obviously the claybo dejection on the podium which was palpable <laughs> the other was yeah. just kind of going through the catalog of images to, to put in the story was one of david norris who's a u.s skier based out of anchorage who had a really good really solid i feel like uh, period one got start rights in the tour and the tour historically for us guys, very few us guys have finished the tour off the top of my head. You know, recently I think Noah Hoffman, Ben lost garden last year finished. And there were two finishers this year, Logan Hanneman, who is a pure sprinter finished and, and David Norris and David finished today's stage in 30th. And I think, uh, 35th. Was he 30th or was he 31st? I wrote 30th, but uh, I haven't published the story okay. yet, but I think. He- okay. Actually I said, it's cause I was watching it and I felt bad. I was like watching the, the numbers go through and I saw David come through and I'm like, Oh man, he's going to score points on the climb. And then right at the last second, he like died like a pig. And I'm like, Oh no, wrong time to die. And like, I don't know if he got pipped. I'm going to look actually while we're talking. Yeah. I mean, but no, regardless, dude, he, yeah, let's say he's 30. I'm lo- well, I'm looking right here. I want to make sure before I open my mouth, stage seven of seven, 2020, David Norris, this is, we're coming completely full circle with our seven episode tour to ski epic here. Okay. He beats, yep. I'm going to use your words. He beats the bum from Sweden, Callie. Nice. Nice. Who, <laughs> David's in 30th. Callie nice. is 31st. Awesome. Oh, good to see you. That's, that's good to know. Couldn't that, that good for him. And then scoring points up that hill. Great. That's great. I mean, Callie finishes the tour in 15th to be the best Swede. That's insanely bad. I can't believe it. But uh, he had some good races in the tour as well, Callie Halverson. So, you know, the the future is not a disaster. No. And he's a big dude. At least he looks big. He's a huge dude. He's a huge dude. Okay. So, but this photo of David, uh, again, like resonated with me because it's sort of him. One, he looks pretty spent, deservedly so. Uh, But he looks a little bit pensive. (laughs) <laughs> sort of just thinking about kind of like what transpired. And I'm sure I haven't spoken to him yet, but probably like, oh, I wish I had eked out a little more or back on this day, maybe a little more. But, you know, from people who just finished the tour, can you speak to that? What an accomplishment that is? Oh, it is an accomplishment in the sense that, I mean, Teresa talked a lot about that throughout this whole tour. It's just the getting ready every day. It's it's the like, put, like, not letting your energy and not letting your emotions get the better of you 
some days are good, some days are bad. And when they're good, you don't want to get too excited because the day after you need that energy, uh, you need to save that energy to be ready. And then when the days are bad, like you can't have a big old sad and cry to mom. You have to like suck it up and get ready for the next day because you need that energy again and doing that day after day. And then, you know, the travel on the tour is not even close, not even in the same, it's like not the same sport compared to what it was the first few editions of that thing. But still, you will still have to pack up, sleep in different beds, eat different food, drive the two and a half hours between venues, set up the techs are setting up. Luckily now most teams have trucks, so it's a lot easier on the technicians than it used to be. But still, it's it's just the the rim and roll of the whole thing. It's uh, it's it's definitely takes a lot of energy. So for sure, it does take a toll. Even though the tour isn't nearly as difficult as it has been prior, um, you know, it's not the nine stage epics as it has been. It's uh, seven races and quite tight as far as venues go. But um, for sure, it's just getting nervous every day and warming up and, and that kind of excitement or that fear. If you're having a bad tour, if you're having a bad time and you feel like your shape's not there, and you're like, oh God, am I just going to go meet the firing squad again? And like that, that, you can't go into races like that. You can't go into races defeated because guess what? It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You will be defeated at the end of the stage. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's definitely, um, when you look at the whole World Cup calendar or even a championship, uh, there's just no rest for the wicked and managing your emotions is, is tough on the tour. So all these athletes are definitely fatigued and tired, both physically, but also mentally. And those combine together to you have a lot of guys and girls in, in that, in that field that are happy to have a bit of a break now. Okay. That's a wrap. Thank yeah. you. No, that's uh, no, thank you. I have one thing I'd like to finish with though. What was, Anything, yeah. what was the, for you men or women, what was the race what was the race of the tour for you if you had to pick just one? Oh gosh. Dang. All right, I'm going to edit out this pause here. Um well, I, I that's a good question. Let me let me think about that. Um You think about it. I can Yeah, give what you are mine. yours? Sorry. I just I'm like Ooh. Well, no no, yeah. no 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 no. No no no. I put you on the that's spot. Okay. I put you super Go on ahead. the spot. But but for me the race of the tour was Engveld outsprinting mm, Teresa yeah. and withstanding all those attacks on the harder course in Toblock after coming 0.7 seconds away from beating Teresa in only her third race of the season. Uh, it was uh, that classic race, that 10K classic, to see both Engveld, Flukstad Osberg, and Teresa Johug skiing so well in classic together. That was, that was the moment of the Tour de Ski for me. It was... Uh, that was some beautiful classic skiing on the women's side. So it's, uh, that, that's a defining moment for myself. Okay. So, so, and this is not as like, this is a, this is a little more subtle, but it, it sort of speaks to me to sort of thinking about what a beat down the tour must be emotionally on people who, you know, wanted more. And maybe this is just resonating because I spoke to Rosie earlier, but a highlight or sort of a contrast sort of thinking about is there was a photograph that maybe we spoke about this, but there was a photograph that came out after stage five, which was the classic start, um, cl- classic mass start 10K in, uh, in Val de Fiem there, stage five, right? Rosie was kind of poised for a top 10 in the tour. And she really, she struggled. I mean, she admitted today, she's like, my gosh, it was like a disaster race for her. And she, 
also talked a little bit about, and we all know this, like there were, there were days when the skis were great and there were days when the skis were crap for the U S yeah, they weren't, yeah, they weren't good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so she had to push through those things. And, you know, I saw this photo in the catalog. I was like, ah, you know, like the result stands for itself. People who are looking at these results are going to know that she did not have the day that she wanted out there. So, um, she looked totally bummed in this photo and we eventually published it, I think in a different story. She was just being consoled a little bit by Sadie Bjornsson after the race. But again, her disappointment was palpable turning it around, you know, she's not a sprinter, but she popped a decent sprint yesterday. And then she comes in here today and kills it. You know, again, it's a one-off, but she said this herself. These are her words. I consider myself a Clydesdale out there. And she killed it. So I just think that like it goes to show that you can rebound mentally uh, when things, you know, you're, you, it's easier to just give up, screw it, you know, pack it in. And and she had a great race today. Oh, absolutely. It's not a podium shot, but it it's more to me speaks to like what a grind the sport is. And that, yeah, and that, yeah. Yeah, and that's what's so awesome. And that's why when you were saying about the tour, that's why the tour looms large in athletes' minds. Because that, what you just described right there, anybody that has raced in anything and raced a full season of something knows exactly it, that you just hit them right in the feels. Like, <laughs> because they know that feeling. Like, you have to rally because you have no, it's binary, really. Throw in the towel, go home, or pick yourself up and try again. And like you said, with, with Rosie's tour and a lot of the American women's tour, actually, I mean, how, if you're an American ski fan, Rosie, absolutely. Sadie was quietly very consistent. She had a couple off days. Yeah. yeah seventh, seventh overall. overall. And Jesse Diggins had some absolutely beautiful performance in this tour and also some of the worst races she's had this season. And it's a real testament to the event that you ride those waves. And I think it is also so cool that we live in a time where the American women were kind of like, oh, it was some great individual stages, but I don't know. The overall was, it was pretty solid. Seventh and ninth. This is really good. Like this is two, you have two athletes in the top 10 in the tour de ski on a year that is not a championship year. Like these are great performances. And if you look back historically, historically, like we would all be popping champagne, but this is where the, but this is where the American women have, have taken their, taken their game. Now they're just, they're all so strong. And whether it's Rosie or Diggins or Sophie or Sadie or the upstarts like Julia Kern or Swerble or KO or I mean there's just a long list of athletes waiting in the wings to take over and I think it's just so exciting and I I love the tour format it's I'm so thankful that Fis uh, brought this into our sport because it is a great story and there is so many storylines throughout the whole the whole adventure so I really hope that they can figure it out for next year to have um, both great representation from the men and the women because it is the marquee event of the World Cup. And yeah, I just really want to, I'm um, big round of applause for all the athletes that, that make it happen. And then we'll have to get really into the nitty gritty because you actually struck a chord with me when you talked about the American men at the Tour de Ski. Um, but we can take that later on in uh, some other podcast when there's not 
races every day. <laughs> we can dig into that a little. We can dig. Yeah, we, right. Yeah, we can, that's a we whole can, other We can dig into deal, that a little yeah. deeper. But I am curious that a guy like David Norris, that is so goddamn good in the Mount Marathon race, uh, the Alaska Olympics, uh, is not even close to good enough up Alpe Chamise. That's a bit weird. But we can. We'll have to revisit that some other time. Yeah, but I mean, it's not. Yeah, but again, I mean. That's, I forget, that's not a super long, long race. Obviously, it's a ton of vert and it's a technical downhill. Yeah, the downhill is what it is, but still, he's good up that hill too. He's amazing. It's at sea level. Yeah. We're getting sidetracked. But I mean, also, I mean, he's, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. He had six stages in his legs. Yeah, that's too. true. No, that's true too. Plus all the stress and everything we said. And then there's the technique aspect and everything. But yeah, and the other thing is, like, I know we're just getting sidetracked for for like an American, you know, uh, Americans. Oh, totally. Right. It's and again, like U.S. nationals, senior nationals is is going on right now, and so World Cup starts are are up for grabs. You've got a World Cup in the U.S. for the first time since 2001. Starts there up for grabs. You got starts in Canmore in front of family, you know, if you family, it's easy to travel up there. Oh yeah. For I, sure. It's always interesting for me to see who takes the opportunity to start the tour and in lieu of like compromising possible world cup, you know, period three selection and period four selection. Cause they're toast from an American standpoint. That's always, that's one of the reasons I actually have a ton of respect for dudes who, who take a shot at it. Like Ben Lusgarden last year, you know, he struggled yeah. in the tour, but he gave it a shot. Well, not just that. Like, I mean, this is why we need to have just a whole other podcast with that. But that's what I really think the the American women have embo- embodied. Like, if you're just going to reach for that last rung of the ladder every single time, like, I just want the World Cup starts. Why? You So you can go to Camor and get lit up? Like, or if you have a chance to race the tour and learn something, learn something about yourself, learn something about how the World Cup operates, Learn something about how your technicians and the whole staff operate under pressure. Take that forward in your career. But you choose an easy an easy way out so you can get more World Cup starts only to get the shit kicked out of you. Like what I don't I don't see that as advan I don't see that as advancing your career necessarily every time. And I know I'll get some heat for that, but just just sit well, with that for yeah. but just sit with that for a second when you think about what the American women have done in contrast. Well, I, yeah, I know like, as I know. a group, as a group, as a group, they have been very good to support themselves uh, and support each other and take the shots and try and pick themselves up. And I mean, yes, you have amazing mentors there like Keegan Randall or Diggins, but, but yeah, still. yeah, it gets into the weeds when it comes to like, not to say internal politics, but like the whole criteria for selection and yeah. yeah and you know what but but you know what i'll say about criteria too though and this is also going to be really interesting and that's okay to be a little controversial every once in a while sure what does what does criteria matter train race as best as you can and be satisfied with the racing you do if you're good enough you will get chances you'll get chances yeah that's true but if, but if true. you're but if you're always rooting through we talk we're talking about energy management right we talked about that in the tour de ski like you have to really learn to manage your expectations, your energy, your your reactions to good races or bad races. It's the same in your ski career. If you are pouring all your energy into reading the criteria and fighting with the ski federation and trying to like, how is the easiest way? What like you're not water? 
you know, finding the easiest way <laughs> to the bottom of the valley. Like that's, that's not what it is. You're using energy to do that and try and maximize this and that. Like maybe you should use that energy to be a better skier. You know what I mean? Yeah, I gotta say, I mean, that's one of the, uh, you know, Catherine Ogden, KO is her nickname, but Catherine Ogden, you know, she was super tour overall leader. I don't have her. I, I I could find it here somewhere. But she's going to school though too. That's impressive. She she goes to school. I mean, they have sort of a modified schedule where you can kind of work around winter term. But I don't know if she, you know, takes advantage of that or not. But she's a student at Dartmouth. She's obviously a great skier. But she's chosen to do like the four year path for school and ski at a high level. Yeah, super impressive. But she. And super What's impressive. Well, just speaking to your point about taking a chance, you know, she, she had, she was a, a pick for the tour to ski because she was leading the super tour overall. And she took the opportunity. I mean, she probably has nothing to prove at senior nationals. Why not go and learn something like you were saying? And, and what a great race she had today. Yeah. Yep. 20. I thought she had a great 21st. climb today. Yeah. I think she had a great climb today yep. and, and you'll learn that experience. And if you choose if you choose this path, if you choose the path of high level cross country skiing, that will be invaluable experience that you learned this whole, this whole tour to ski, especially like you said, some days with tough waxing and also being around consummate professionals like Jesse and, and Rosie and, uh, and Sadie when their skis aren't really working that well and seeing what that's like and just absorbing that and living it. And also maybe you had struggled with skis too, if you're KO and it, you're moving through that and you take that with you. Uh, man, that's, um, if you really want to excel, if your goal, if your goal is to race a few world cups in your career, then I totally understand. Then you have to maximize your chances. You have that. I totally get it. But if you dream of racing in the world's elite, like top 10 in, in the world cup, if that's something that when you go to bed at night, you get goosebumps dreaming about, then you have to learn to not just take the easiest path because you see it out there. You see the faces on all those athletes as they cross the line. There is no easy path to the top in this sport. This, this is just, this is not the way. So I don't know. That's my little, that's my little rant there, but it, it, it is, it is interesting because we've had the same kind of discussions in Canada with criteria and everything with everything like that. And, and the bigger, you know, yeah, there's always flare ups also in Norway, which have no criteria. <laughs> there is no criteria in Norway. Um, really? It's just the best. No, the best get to go. I mean, look at look at. Um, well, sure, Jan but is, Janssen, is that just prefaced off of like, you know, you have your beta stolen early season races and yeah, okay, yeah, and not not just that, but they also do some strange. They also do some strange calls here and there, and it, there's some grumblings that happen. But at the end of the day, if you look at like Jan Thomas Janssen, the guy that had the start that no one had ever heard of, he's had a great start to the season here in Norway domestically, but his best World Cup result coming into this tour was fifty second. And yet he gets a start at the Tour de Ski, like, okay, here you go, buddy. Here's your chance. And then, of course, there's grumblings because there's a lot of guys left behind with, like, World Cup podiums that don't get a chance to, to start the Tour, and they're picking him. But at the end of the day, that was his chance to just, let's see what you got, you know? And so it, it is just a different, but they, but they have so many guys. So they, 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 you can have, like, 15 different people can slot in and score points that's that any given weekend. And that's, that's not the case in the U S and Canada. I understand that. So it, it's not fair. It's not fair to compare Norway to Canada or the U S but, but uh, criteria getting, getting all into the weeds on criteria and spending all your energy pouring over the criteria. If you're trying to reach for the last rung of the ladder, then you have no one to blame but yourself when you miss and you slip. 
you have no one to blame. But if you reach for like that third rung in the ladder or fourth rung, if you slip a bit, maybe you land on like the seventh rung of the ladder instead of falling flat on your butt, you know? Yeah, I would say like, I mean, again, I'd have to ask David, but to me, I'm like, that's a success. Yeah, I'm sure he Absolutely wanted more, but yeah. Yeah, of course. And of course you want more. You're an athlete. You put a lot into this and you go with high expectations. But in Canada or the US, when you're so far removed from from international skiing, you know, prepare, try, <laughs> revisit, you know, and really analyze how, what you did well and what you could do better and take those, take those experiences with you as you move through your career. And I, I have a lot of, there's a lot of merit in that. There really is. So I think, uh, no, good on, good on the guys for, for finishing the tour to ski and, and trying their best because there's, yeah, you, you just, there's no other event in the calendar that you can learn so much in such a short period of time, <laughs> such a short period of time, because <laughs> you just have so many different courses, so many different races, some travel, stressed out people. It, it's, it's interesting. So I love the tour. That's, uh, that's the bottom line. Okay. Briefly. Have a good day. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Bye. Jason. Thanks. YouTube. Yeah. Bye. Thanks for listening. 